All right, let me just start with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this amazing text you've given to us and this flawed individual by the name of Abraham whom you used and called out of idolatry and paganism to bring honor and glory to your name. We're thankful for this new name you've revealed of yourself here in this passage. May we know you as you have revealed yourself here. Open our eyes so that we can behold wonderful things from your word today. May the word be faithfully and accurately proclaimed, and we ask you to give us ears to hear and be doers, not just hearers only. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when the school of life gives you a difficult test? Do any of you just love taking tests? Like when you were in school, did, did you just you say, I just love taking tests. I couldn't look forward to the moment when the teacher would give me that test. They are so fun. Man, I would love to have every one every day of the year. Any, any no, no takers on that. Okay. Well, that's not surprising. Most people don't particularly enjoy tests. So, Sometimes when the school of life gives us a difficult test, we, we can respond in different ways. For example, maybe, maybe you might run like the prophet Jonah did. He ran away from God's test that God had given to him. When God said, go to Nineveh, he went the opposite direction. Sometimes we just kind of give up like the apostle Peter. You know, the test comes and we just fail. Sometimes we make excuses like Moses. Moses made five excuses to God when, when God gave him the test of leading the, the Israelis out of Egypt. But he just made excuses. Or, hopefully, we can be like Abraham and pass the test. When that, when that test comes our way, hopefully, hopefully we can pass it. And it's interesting for Abraham, at the age of 75... Abraham enrolled in the school of faith. I believe he would, that's approximately when he became a Christian. But now at this point here in Genesis 22, he's, he's now over 100 years old. And just because you're old, by the way, doesn't mean you're going to stop having tests in life. Uh, for him, he's, he's enrolled in this school of faith, and he's, he, he's going to keep having tests his entire life. But, they are soul-stretching experiences for him. And the reality is, for you and, and for me, we're never too old to face new challenges. I hope you see those things as good things. You're, you're never too old to fight a new battle, to learn some new truths, as Abraham does here. You say, well, why is that the case? Well, see, when you stop learning, you stop growing. And when you stop growing... You're going to stop living. And that's not a good scenario. You need to keep living all the way to the moment when God takes you home. So here, I'm going to give you the proposition first, and then we're going to look at the text, okay? So here's the proposition that God has for you from Genesis 22, that God wants faithful worshipers who will obey Him by surrendering whatever He asks and trusting in His promises. So let's see how that works out here in the text, Genesis 22, starting in verse 1. Verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham 
and said to him, Abraham. He said, Here I am. He said, This is God saying this. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of Yahweh called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham! And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. Behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, Yahweh will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of Yahweh called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares Yahweh, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. We'll stop there for the moment. One of the first lessons we learn from our text today is this, is that God tests the faithfulness of believers by asking them to surrender to Him the best they have. Did you notice God calls it a test there right at the very beginning? If you look um, here in chapter 22, it it mentions uh, in verse 1, after these things that God tested Abraham. 
So this is clearly a test. It's a test for a believer. Abraham's a believer at this point. And what is God asking of him? Well, it's incredible. This is the son of promise. Isaac, the son of promise. And God's saying, take, in verse 2, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and then go sacrifice him. It's amazing. By the way, Abraham did not know at, at Excuse me. at this point, that it was a test. Had he known that God was testing him, of course, then the value of the test would have been diminished. See, to be an effective test, God's command here had to be both something that was sudden and it was surprising. See, from Abraham's perspective, God was calling him to do something that he would have never imagined. This was something he was expecting for a very, very long time. Many years God had promised this would happen. So not only was he asking him to make a child sacrifice, which God is against, but he's asking for the very child that was going to be the heir of all of those promises. So this unpredictability made it a staggering test for Abraham. God seemed to be totally out of his character here and completely destroying his own program. <laughs> if you if you look at it through human eyes, anyway. In some senses, you might say that God was becoming Abraham's worst enemy. So do you, do you see how big of a test this is? Uh, it, it's this aspect here that made Abraham's faith stand out. It made it so great. So what do you do, my friends, when you're, you're trying to follow God and, it, and, it, and, and in following Him it doesn't seem to be clear? God's will doesn't seem to be clear to you. What do you do? I like one, one commentator by the name of Dale Davis. He said this, When God is not clear, you go on walking in the darkness by faith and obedience until He brings the light. You just keep doing what he, 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 he has told you to do, the right things, the live by faith and obedience to Him until He gives you the light. That's good advice. And that's what Abraham does here. So my friends, one of the things that's going to help you to face the test of your own life is you need to have, you need to understand reality. You need to have correct expectations. And one of the things you need to expect is you need to expect God to test you. See, Abraham's not the only one going to be tested. You're going to be tested as well. And see, you're going to go through the school of faith. You're probably in the school of faith. And we need to have occasional tests. Just like when you were in school, you would have occasional tests. Why did the teacher give you the test? Because the teacher hated you? Well, maybe you had one of those teachers, okay? So please don't ruin my illustration here. But usually that's not why teachers give us tests. The tests are there to to show where are we? Where are we? Do you know the material or not? (laughs) Right? And and we need to go through tests because we're never going to know where we are spiritually without those tests. See, God's not the one who needed to know here. Okay, God's omniscient. He knows all things. But Abraham needed to know where he stood. 
Where was his heart in all of this? And, and so, please understand, tests reveal where we are. So expect them. See them as good things. Well, what does God demand of believers today? Well, here's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 14. Look at this. Jesus said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. By the way, don't miss the point here of what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not <clears throat> hes not saying hate yourself in, in one sense. Some people take that. It, he just, he's saying that your love for Him should be so great that in comparison that your love for your mother and your father and your siblings and your children and your grandchildren and even yourself pales in comparison to your love for Jesus Christ. That's the point. So my friend, if you want to be a true worshiper of God, it's going to involve the willingness on your part to sacrifice whatever is dearest and most treasured for you. God may not ask you to do that, but you need to be willing to sacrifice whatever is most treasured to you. The question is, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to do that? That's a severe test, but it will, it will reveal a lot. A second lesson we learn here is that faithful believers are willing to surrender the best they have to God while trusting that God will provide. I don't think... Abraham could have done this if he didn't understand God's promises. See, he's doing the radical stuff here and giving his best because he understands who God is and what he's promised. See, the, the, the first thing we, we learn under this lesson here is that faithful worshipers obey God's call. No matter what God's call is, someone who is faithful to God is going to obey that call. See, the response of Abraham to God's instructions here is truly amazing, isn't it? Did you notice? Right after God has told him to sacrifice his own son, what, is, what does Abraham do? Well, if he's like you and me, we would be tempted to make excuses or run away or uh, you know, just kind of dilly-dally and, and uh, be lazy and do something else. But no, that's not what he does. He, he gets up early the next morning and gets right into it. It was an instantaneous, unquestioning obedience. And so the story here is tracing his journey of three days to the appointed place. And it's just a very simplistic story. Elegant simplicity here. In fact, there's no mention of Abraham's feelings. It, it doesn't mention what Abraham's thinking. It's just an, an instant compliance toward God's heart instructions. What a beautiful example of how do you respond to God's test in your life. And so the first part of the report of Abraham's obedience here concludes with his speech to his, his uh, servants. That, By the way, notice he left them behind. And Abraham just says, hey, hey guys, stay here. Isaac and I are going to worship God, and we're going to come back. Did you notice he says, we plural, will come back after we're done worshiping God. 
So what's going on through Abraham's mind? Well, I'm very thankful there's other text in Scripture that, that helps to open up his mind here. Because this text is not telling us everything. From the context, all we conclude is only that Abraham knew, number one, that God planned the future around Isaac, because he's promised that many times. And number two, that God wanted to sacrifice Isaac. That's all he knows. <laughs> he could not reconcile those two things together. They don't, they don't really seem to go together, do they? But he obeyed anyway, even though they don't seem to reconcile with each other. So what was Abraham thinking? Well, the book of Hebrews suggests that Abraham concluded that God was able to raise Isaac from the dead. Look what God says about Abraham here in Hebrews 11, starting in verse 17. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So, key phrase there. He considered that God was able to raise Isaac from the dead. It's incredible faith. After all, think about that. Abraham's never seen this happen. He's never heard of this happening. As far as we know, it never has happened up to this point in human history. So, that's incredible faith in God's promises. So I ask you, my friend, how can you face life's test? When God gives you a test. How can you face it? How can you endure and thrive in that? Well, one way you can do that is focus on promises, not expectations. Particularly focus on God's promises. See, when God sends us a test, well, I don't know how you typically respond to tests, but sometimes you might you might ask God, hey, why? <laughs> right? <laughs> that's, that's often one of my first responses. Why are you doing this to me? And then... Uh, and then, yeah, that's usually the second response. After you say why, it's why me? Out of all the people on planet Earth, couldn't you just pick someone else, please? Right? So right away, we want God to give us expl- explanations, just like Job. Right? Nineteen times in the book of Job, Job says why. He wants to know why all this bad stuff is happening to him. Of course, we know that God has reasons for sending tests. Uh, The Bible tells us several reasons. For example, uh, one reason is to purify our faith so that when we're we're tried, we will come forth as gold. Uh, Sometimes God wants to perfect our character, according to James 1. And another reason is even to protect us from sin, as God did with the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. But when we fail to see how these things apply to us, well, then we can have some issues. See, the fact that we ask our Heavenly Father for explanations is suggesting that maybe we don't know ourselves as we should. 
The other issue is maybe you don't know God as you should. See, that was the issue with Job, wasn't it? See, God opened Job's eyes to see who he was, and then, and then, then it's like he stops asking why. See, either is you don't know yourself or you don't know God as you should. When, when you want explanations for your test, those are probably things you need to focus and, and, and come to conclusions on. Instead, what you need to do is focus on God's promises. Number two, faithful worshipers trust God to provide. Faithful worshipers trust God to provide. That's exactly what Abraham does here. So as you read through the story here in verses 6 through 10, it tells how Abraham, what does he do? He's doing his part. He knows he's supposed to go on this journey to sacrifice his son, but what does he do? He prepares the wood. He's out there cutting the wood. He's, He's getting the fire. He gets his knife. He's preparing his animal and his servants, and they're all going to go on this journey together. So Abraham's response is quite illuminating when Isaac asks that question. Hey, well, you know, what about the sacrifice? You know, you you've got everything else we need, but what? Where's the sacrifice? What does Abraham say? He says, "God Himself will provide a lamb." Well, there's a lot of implications in in these words here. We'll talk about those in a moment, but that's an amazing statement. That statement of it was it was a statement of faith, first of all. But that statement of faith didn't hinder Abraham from completely obeying the call here to go and sacrifice his son. You see, for at the place we 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 understand we've just read, what did he do? He bound Isaac. He gets out his knife. He raises his hand to to slay his son there on the altar. So Abraham's explanation that God would provide was unclear in one sense. It was unclear enough to allow for the very act to happen. But in telling Isaac that God would provide the sacrifice, Abraham actually deferred the answer to his son's question. He's deferring it to God. He doesn't fully understand everything. He might be very confused of what's going on. He gave God a way out. He's, he's covering his own intentions here. And at the moment of truth, Abraham did not look around, by the way. Did you notice that? He, he's, he's not looking around for a lamb. He's, he's going to actually follow through with what God had told him to do and obey him. And God intervenes and says, look behind you. I provided a ram. And so we see here that Number three, that faithful believers receive God's provision. Faithful believers receive God's provision. How do we see that here, particularly in this text? Well, here's some good news. First of all, number one, that God approves sacrificial obedience. Here's where it starts. Because God provided because Abraham was obedient. See, God's intervention came when the sacrifice was made in Abraham's mind. He'd already obeyed God in his mind, in his heart, if you will. So what happens is there's this call from heaven, this angel of Yahweh, who is the pre-incarnate Christ, 
prevented Abraham from doing any harm to Isaac. So here it became clear to Abraham that, that this was a test. God never intended for Abraham to kill his son. And by the way, this was also to become clear to Israel as Moses was writing to Israel that he took no pleasure in child sacrifice as the Canaanites were doing. And so the knowledge gained by the test is that Abraham feared God. And it wasn't so much a test for God because God knows everything, but how, how do we know it was a test for Abraham? Well, and how do we know it was a test? Because, and how do we know he, he passed the test? Because he, didn't, he did what God told him to do. He didn't withhold his son. How do we know Abraham feared God? Well, it was signified by his not withholding his son. He obeyed. He followed through. And so the one who truly feared God here believed that the compliance with the Word of God was his primary responsibility. That showed that he feared God, that he had the, the proper respect for God. See, a true worshiper fears Yahweh. In other words, a true worshiper draws near to God in love and adoration and obedience. At the same time, there's, there's a proper reverence as, as, he, as you shrink back in fear of, of such an awesome deity. <laughs> but we see here that God provides for His worshipers. Number two, God always provides for His worshipers. The naming of the place by Abraham is quite interesting in verse 13. See, Abraham, after he, he lifts up his eyes and he, he sees the ram that's caught in the bush, and Abraham offers the ram instead of Isaac, did you notice what he calls the place in verse 14? He, he says, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. Now in Hebrew, it's Yahweh Yireh. Or in Greek, you might say Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. Or The idea is literally that Yahweh sees. Yahweh knows. And, and the motivation for this name, by the way, is coming from verse 8. Verse 8 is just a little different. In verse 8, it... Uh, yeah, verse 8, it mentions uh, God will provide Himself the Lamb. Now there it's Elohim instead of Yahweh. But that's the motivation. He, he understands who God is and what God's promised. And that's why Abraham's naming this place Yahweh Yireh. God sees, He knows, therefore He provides. So how can you face life, life's test, my friends? By depending on God's provision. Depending on Yahweh Yireh or Jehovah Jireh. That's how you can face life's test as you go through the school of faith. Now where does God provide our needs? Well, it's going to be the same as it was for Abraham. It's, it's, it's going to be in the place of His assignment where He assigns you the test. See, Abraham was at the right place so God could meet his needs. He obeyed and went, even though it was a, you know, a long journey, three days. 
And, and by the way, we have no right to expect God to provide for us if we're not willing to obey Him. You have no right to demand of God that He meet your needs and provide blessings to you if you're not going to, to, to follow His will. And so when does God meet our needs? Just when we have the need. <laughs> right at that moment. Not a minute sooner. See, when you bring your request to the throne of grace, God, the Bible says, He's going to answer with mercy and grace in the time of need. Not sooner, but in the time of need. See, sometimes it looks like God waits until the last minute to send help. And I know for some of you, you have a hard time with that. It drives you crazy. Because you, you, you know God's promises, you know God is always good and always great, and it's like He's teasing you. He's dangling the carrot there out in front of you, kind of, right? But may I remind you, that's only from your limited human perspective. God is always on time. God is never late. He will provide in your time of need. He says He will. And how does God provide for us? In ways that are usually quite natural. Okay? Did you notice God doesn't miraculously send something down out of heaven here for Abraham? Right? We don't see a, a, a lamb fall out of heaven and land on the altar, do we? Right? God usually doesn't work that way. Usually it's just through natural means. It's like, oh, look behind you. Oh, there's something caught over in the bush. Why don't you use that? Just a natural animal. Nothing so miraculous necessarily about that. See, God didn't send an angel. Didn't, didn't, didn't send an angel with a sacrifice. He just simply allowed the ram to get caught in the bush. When Abraham needed it, it, it was there. All Abraham needed was one animal, so God didn't send... Notice he doesn't send a whole flock of sheep either. <laughs> right? He just needed one through natural means. That's how often God works. Whom does God give His provision? Notice it's to those who trust Him, who those who obey His instructions. And so when we're doing the will of God, you and I can expect God's provision. God said He's going to take care of you. Do you believe that? A fourth lesson we learn here is faithful believers enjoy God's blessing. Now, this is not a health, wealth, prosperity gospel here, okay? We don't, we, we don't surrender our lives to God and we don't worship God because of all the good gifts that God gives to us. That's not why we do it. But it is a wonderful blessing, nevertheless, that God does reward and bless His people. And, and we, and by the way, there is always an afterword to the test of life. Always an afterword to the test of life. Uh, you say, well, where is that in Scripture? Let me give you just two verses to think about here. Hebrews 12.11 says, For the moment... All discipline seems painful. Can you say amen to that? Discipline's painful. Right? You're not supposed to enjoy it. 
right? So don't be some sadomasochist and, you know, that's not the point. But it seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So notice, what is God saying? There is something good that comes out of this. There are blessings that come out of God's training and test in your life. And here's what Peter says in 1 Peter 5.10. He says, After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Those are God's blessings for you. Sometimes you don't get those things without going through the fire, without going through the school of hard knocks, through the school of faith. Well, Abraham received several blessings from God because of his obedient faith. Let's just think through a few of these quickly here. Number one, Abraham received a new approval from God. Where do we see that? Well, look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, here's what God says. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. You say, well, that may not sound like approval to you, but it is. (laughs) It's a wonderful blessing when God says He knows something about us. We have passed the test. And that's what He's basically telling Abraham. You passed the test. Congratulations. (laughs) Abraham had described this difficult experience in verse 5 as worship. When when he told his two servants, did you know what he said? When when we come back, he said, before we come back, we're going to go worship. Worship God. (laughs) Why did he say that? Well, because to Abraham, that's what it was. To obey God was worship. (laughs) He obeyed God's will. He sought to please God. And what does God do in return? God commends him. So Abraham received several blessings. The second thing we see here is Abraham received back a new son. He received back a new son. See, Isaac and Abraham had been at the altar there together. And Isaac was now a living sacrifice instead of a dead one as Romans 12 1 mentions we are to be we're to present our God ourselves to God our bodies to God as living sacrifices so uh, what a wonderful blessing that Isaac's this living sacrifice you need to keep in mind as you read this passage by the way that Isaac was also worshiping God here see he's he's not a little baby Isaac's not an old man He's far younger than Isaac, and he could have easily stopped Abraham from doing this. Most people tend to think he's somewhere in his 20s, so he's kind of at a, you know, in in prime of life. He's far stronger than his father. So he willingly submitted to his father. He's trusting in God as well. What a good example of a living sacrifice. And so God gave Isaac here to Abraham, and Abraham gives Isaac back to God, recognizing, well, 
the the heir of the promises is is really belongs to you, God. So beware, my friends. We must be careful that God's gifts don't become an idol to us. See, what happens sometimes is we might be tempted to for the gift to replace the giver. Has that ever happened to you? It's sad, but sometimes that happens. The gift replaces the giver, and that becomes idolatry. So, we need to be like Abraham. Number three, a third blessing, is that Abraham received new assurances. He received new assurances. There's some wonderful things here mentioned in verses 16 to 18. God's basically repeating the Abrahamic covenant that he mentioned in chapter 12 and chapter 15 and in chapter 17. See, he's already heard these promises before. They're nothing new. But they're kind of taking on a new meaning now for him. I love what Charles Spurgeon said one time. He said, the promises of God never shine brighter than in the furnace of affliction. Let me repeat that. It's a wonderful saying. The promises of God never shine brighter than in the furnace of affliction. You might say it this way, sometimes light shines brighter when you're in the dark. I think Abraham could understand that truth. It was a hard, difficult day when you have to sacrifice your only son. A fourth blessing that happens here is that Abraham learned a new name for God. What a precious name. Yahweh Yireh, or Jehovah Jireh. Literally, it means God will be seen, or the Lord will see to it. And that's why sometimes it gets translated in our Bibles as the Lord will provide. Because it's coming from that concept of the Lord will see to it. So it's he, he sees it, he knows what's happening, therefore, he now has the, the ability and, and the wherewithal to do something about it. He certainly did, because if you, if you know anything about the Bible, you know what happens in the future. It's very interesting that the Jewish temple, did you know the Jewish temple was built on Mount Moriah? See, God had told them, Go three days' journey to this land of Moriah, and when you get there, go up on the mountain and sacrifice Isaac. Why that place? Wouldn't it have been much easier to just do it at home where he was? <laughs> why travel three days? Why, why make it so hard? Well, like a lot of things in Scripture, they're pointing ultimately pointing to Jesus Christ. And here's another example of that. See, Second Chronicles chapter 3 mentions the Jewish temple was built on Mount Moriah. God had told David, this is where it's going to happen. Solomon does it. And of course, Jesus Christ was ultimately sacrificed there at Mount Moriah. God knew, God saw, God provided. And of course, Jesus was called the Lamb of God. And he was provided by God to die for the sins of the world. See, that ram that was caught in the bush was a substitutionary atonement. 
it too was pointing to the ultimate Lamb of God who had come one day to be the sacrifice for sins. So do you see all these, these connections? See, when Jesus said in Luke chapter 24, it's all talking about me, this is one of these passages where we can clearly see, yeah, it's talking about Jesus. The substitute, substitutionary atonement for sin. Praise God. And the fifth blessing, of course, is, well, it's not, I shouldn't say of course. It may not be so obvious, because we haven't read the verse yet, that when Abraham gets back to Beersheba, Abraham heard another new name, which I haven't mentioned yet. Look at verse 23. Look at verse 23. See, you get to verse 23, and it mentions this person by the name of Bethuel, who fathered Rebekah. Rebekah. If you know your Bible, you know who she is. She's the future wife of Abraham's son, Isaac. He hasn't heard this name yet, but God reveals this name to him. See, the names of Abraham's brother's family may have discouraged him because he doesn't have lots of children at this point. He's only got the one son. But I don't think Abraham was fretting. I think he's still trusting in, in God's promises. After all, he had God's promise that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars of heaven and as numerous as the sand on the seashore. That's what verse 17 says. And so he he hears this name and he's probably... I'm assuming, he, again, he's rejoicing in God's provision, in God's blessing. And that's why you're going to see later on, he sends his servant to go get Rebekah. And Rebekah is going to become Isaac's wife. So what is the expositional message from Genesis 22? Here's what we see, my friends. It's on the screen, that the faithful worshiper will obediently surrender to God whatever he asks while trusting in God's promises of provision and blessing. So I ask you, are you a faithful worshiper? Are you a faithful worshiper? Do you know the real God, who He is, and as He has proclaimed Himself to be? And are you obediently surrendered to Him? Are you willing to do whatever He asks you to do? See, if you don't know His promises and who He is and how He has already provided and, and, and blessed multitudes of people, then you may not be willing to do this. And so I, I, I'm, I'm calling you, I'm urging you, come to God's Word, come to the Scripture, search it out for yourself, find God to be a faithful God, a covenant-keeping God, a God who is worthy of your worship. See, my friend, at the heart of God's program is sacrifice. That's the heart of it. God calls you to deny yourself and take up His cross daily and follow Him. Although that may seem the way of failure to you, and it does for many people, see, in God's dealing, it's the way of victory. Are you surrendering your all to God? That's the question. Are you surrendering your all to God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for revealing Yourself to us here as Yahweh, 
Yaira. You know all things, you see all things, therefore you provide a lot of blessings for us. Thank you, you're so gracious. We don't deserve any of them. So as we go through the school of life or the school of hard knocks and the school of faith, and we receive these tests from you, may we not just endure them, but may we thrive as Abraham did. May we be obedient and be surrendered to you, be willing to do whatever it is you want us to do, give up the treasures of our hearts, recognizing what you own everything anyway. You're just asking back what belongs to you. May that be our perspective. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.